there we go. Okay, so if you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, we are going to look at Mark 15 tonight, and I have one point, and the point from Mark 15 is going to be the call to sacrificial love. This is the story of the cross, the story of the crucifixion, and in some ways, the whole gospel of Mark has been leading to this point. That's what, um, that's really what Mark has been doing in his, uh, in, in his, good, okay. I'm just going to try to change one thing here to figure out how. Okay. Let me hold on one second. All right, I'm back. The call to sacrificial love. We're going to be reading through parts of Mark 15, not the whole thing. But parts of parts of Mark 15, and I want to uh, focus in especially on four different events in Mark 15. The first is Jesus before Pilate. When Jesus is before Pilate, he doesn't speak power to power. Instead, he remains silent before power and speaks sacrificial love to power. Second, Jesus endures the mocking of the soldiers. He accepts their taunts and their jeers. And he returns their hatred with sacrificial love. Third, the cross. Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, he's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about others. And the cross is the ultimate example in the history of humanity. The ultimate example of sacrificial love for others. And fourth, Jesus demonstrates sacrificial love at his death. Uh, for humanity. God notices this love and he tears the temple curtain in two from top to bottom. A centurion, a Roman, he's the one who watches the crucifixion and sees the sacrificial love of Jesus and comments, truly this was the son of God. So there are many other things we could talk about in Mark 15. These are the things that we will be talking about. So let's go to Mark 15, one through five, and let's look at Jesus before Pilate. And I'll just make a few comments as we read this. Very early the next morning, so now we're on Friday, what we know in the church calendar as Good Friday, uh, and it's very early in the morning, the chief priests, the elders, and the experts of religious law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. Binding Jesus, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So they made a decision what they were going to do with Jesus, and that was they were going to put him on trial in front of the Romans and um, appeal to the Romans for Jesus to be executed. They take him to Pilate, who is the procurator of Judea. He is the Roman um, official. And when you read the other Gospels, you see they take him to Pilate. To Pilate, sorry, Pilate then sends him to Herod. Herod doesn't want anything to do with this, so he sends it back to Pilate. But in Mark, you have a very truncated view of what's going on on this day, and he only mentions Pilate. But Pilate questions him specifically about his kingship. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you are saying so. Now, that's an interesting answer because Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. He doesn't give a direct answer and just say yes. Because if he just said yes, 
then Pilate would have had a reason to find him guilty of treason. And he also doesn't say no, because no isn't the right answer. Um, and so he gives an answer that causes Pilate to think. And I want you to see that in the ministry of Jesus. This is something that he does over and over again. He causes people to think. He doesn't always just give the pat answer. And sometimes that's what we want. We want the pat answer. We want, just tell me this. I just want to know. Just give it to me. And we don't want to think about it. But when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to matters of faith, you have to engage your brain. You have to engage your intellect. And so Jesus doesn't, he doesn't just give the pat answer. Instead, he says, you are saying so. And basically to ask Pilate, well, what do you mean by that? Are you the king of the Jews? Uh, and, and then Pilate then has to think, well, what do I mean by that? And learning to think through spiritual matters is really, really important. If we're going to grow as disciples, if we're going to mature, then we have to be thinking people. And we have to get away from just here are the pat answers. Here's, here's what you do uh, without thinking. We have to engage our mind. We have to engage our brains. We have to engage our intellect. And we have to think through the way we want to grow and how we're going to grow and how we're going to approach our spiritual lives. So, and Jesus does that throughout his ministry. He's done that with his disciples. Now he's doing it here with Pilate. In verse three, it says, many of the chief priests brought charges against him. Pilate again questioned him. Are you not going to answer them? Do you understand all the charges they bring against you? And then notice in verse five, but Jesus did not answer them. So you know, Jesus, again, does, he doesn't just give the pat answer. He causes Pilate to think. So much so that Pilate didn't even know what to do with it. He just marveled at it. Um, but Jesus at any point on this Good Friday, this, this day, could have called out to, to God, had the power to stop all of this, but he doesn't because of his sacrificial love, because he's willing to die for us. He's willing to sacrifice himself for us. He didn't have to. He had a choice. And you see that even here. He has a choice in how he's dealing with Pilate. And he's dealing with him in a way that's causing Pilate to think and causing Pilate to marvel. Now, what I get from that is I get that when I come to Jesus, I need to be a, a thinking person. Um, Jesus isn't just always going to give me the bad answer. He's not always just going to give me an easy answer. Um, he's going to cause me to think. Therefore, I need to be a thinking person. And Jesus here also, something else that you see that he doesn't do, he could have stood up to Pilate with power. Pilate has power, but Jesus doesn't fight power with power because that's not really sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is not about, well, you show your power and I'll show you my power. Sacrificial love is about being humble. Sacrificial love is even about receiving the uh, threats, receiving at times the um, hurt that comes from people around us. And Jesus was willing to do that because he had sacrificial love, because he was willing to die for humanity. 
So he doesn't fight power with power here. Even, and, and this I think is an important point, even in his silence, Jesus is teaching us about sacrificial love. He gives Pilate no answer, but even by not answering Pilate, he gives the answer of sacrificial love. And you're gonna see that throughout Mark chapter 15. Okay, let's look at Mark 15, verse six. We'll go on from six to 15, where Jesus is sentenced to die here on Good Friday. According to the custom of the festival, this is the, the Passover fest, festival, Pilate would re release one prisoner whom the crowd requested. There was a man named Barabbas who had been imprisoned with the militants. He had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went forward and asked Pilate to honor the custom. Uh, just a note about Pilate. Pilate was a pretty ruthless guy. In fact, um, he was so despised by the Jewish people that they had constant insurrections while he was the procurator of Judea. And ultimately he did such a horrible job um, that the exiles uh, banished him off to Gaul, took his, his, um, his kingship away and banished him off to Gaul because he just treated people so horribly. There were four insurrections specifically that he just quashed. And so he was concerned about militants. He was concerned about insurrectionists. He was concerned about treason. And um, this was something that he always had on his mind and he was on his guard against. And so in this case, it, there, here's Jesus and there's this Passover and Pilate wants to try to appease the crowd. So he's gonna release a prisoner. And um, in verse nine, it says, Pilate answered them, do you wish for me to release to you the king of the Jews? For Pilate knew that it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest incited the crowd so that they asked for Barabbas to be released for them instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them again, what do you wish me to do with the one called king of the Jews? They cried out, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted louder, crucify him. And Pilate in this case appeases the crowd because he's had uh, uprisings before. He doesn't wanna have one on this day. And so he's trying to appease them by letting Jesus go, but they call for Barabbas. Barabbas, the name literally means son of the father. It's interesting, there's some irony here because the person that is released to the crowd he is an insurrectionist. Um, it's the type of person that Pilate should have wanted dead instead of Jesus. Jesus wasn't causing an insurrection. And you had the irony of the name being, he's son of the father. Well, Jesus is literally son of the father. Um, but instead, this false son of the father is released and Jesus is crucified. Verse 15, it says, because Pilate wished to satisfy the crowd, he released Barabbas. And then the, in um, the second half of verse 15, it says, Pilate handed Jesus over to be flogged, then to be crucified. I'm sure that you know that this flogging was a, a, a scourging, a whipping. It was done with a cat of nine tails, which was a whip that at the end of the, the thongs on the whip, there was a 
broken glass or there was hard stone. And uh, many people actually died from just that part of the execution process. Uh, and that was the first thing that Jesus had done to him, had an animal over to be flogged and then to be crucified. Another thing that the flogging does, it keeps the crucifixion from lasting as long because of all the blood loss and all the fatigue that comes from being flogged. Okay, let's go on to verses 16 through 20 now. This is the second point, the soldiers mocking Jesus, and Jesus answers them with sacrificial love. Verse 16, the soldiers led him into the palace, which is the praetorium, and they called together the whole cohort. They dressed him in, in purple. They wove a thorny crown and put it on him. They began to greet him, hail king of the Jews. They beat him on the head with a reed and spat on him kneeling on their knees before him. After they mocked him, they stripped the purple cloth off him and put his own garments on him. They led him outside to crucify him. So he had the soldiers here, a cohort could be as many as 600 soldiers, um, maybe even as many as 3,000, but uh, 600, the, the lesser number. And you see the irony here because they are going to mock him as being king put a crown of thorns on him. And, uh, but the fact is, is that this is the real king. Um, that's the irony is that Jesus is king and they're mocking him as king, but they're mocking the real king. But what does Jesus do in all of this? He has the power again to stop all of this anytime he wants. But instead, he takes the jeers, he takes the taunts, he takes the abuse. I mean, they were abusing him, hitting him, uh, spitting on him, and he does not retaliate. Instead, he responds with sacrificial love. And that's what sacrificial love does. Uh, sacrificial love, there's a willingness to take on the hurt of people around us. Um, and it does hurt us by doing that. But when you, when you have sacrificial love, you're willing to do that. And Jesus was willing to do that. Now let's go to the third event, and that is the crucifixion. And this is in verses 21 through 32. The soldiers forced into service a passerby named Simon of Serene to carry Jesus's cross. Simon had come from the country and was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Notice that Mark mentions not only Simon, but he also mentions the father of Alexander and Rufus. And scholars believe that the reason he mentions Alexander and Rufus is because Alexander and Rufus became a part of the first century Christian community. Um, they knew who Alexander and Rufus uh, were, or else why mention them? Why just mention two random people that the people that aren't reading the book in Rome and, or hearing the book being read in Rome have no knowledge of. They, the, it's very likely that they knew Alexander and Rufus because they became disciples. Because, and again, this is conjecture, but because Simon became a disciple. Because how can you carry the cross of Jesus without being a disciple, without becoming a disciple? The point being, the point that Mark is making without just stating the point, that 
Carrying the cross of Jesus is what being a disciple is all about. So if a person carries the cross of Christ, of course, that person is going to become a Christian. And of course, that person's children are going to become Christians because this person has carried the cross of Christ, which again ties into sacrificial love because carrying a cross is all about making a sacrifice. Our lives need to be living sacrifices. And if our lives are living sacrifices, then we carry this cross and we are disciples of Jesus. And again, in some ways, this is what the whole gospel of Mark has been leading to. All the talk that Jesus did about taking up your cross, all the talk that Jesus did about he was going to die and be buried and come back again, it's all happening here in chapters 15 and 16. The whole journey of Jesus has led him to the cross, and Mark's subtext of that is, our journey leads us to a cross as well, because you can't be a disciple without a cross. Sacrificial love is what Jesus was all about, and sacrificial love is what the followers of Jesus are all about. We don't clamor for our rights. We don't clamor for, um, I'm going to be treated this way and only this way. No, we learn to sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. And you see it right here in this story. Okay, verse 22. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. They gave him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not drink, which fulfills what he says at the Last Supper. I will not drink with you again until I see you in the kingdom. He turns down the drink here. They crucified him. Look at verse 24, the first part of that. Those three little words right there. They crucified him. Now, what happens when we study the Bible with people or... Um, get interested in this, we look at all the details of the crucifixion. Really, that's, that's all Mark gives you right there. Mark doesn't get into the torture. He doesn't get into uh, the blood that's spilt. He doesn't get into um, what we talk about as far as Jesus, his lungs collapsing and that sort of stuff. Uh, that's all stuff that came later when people were exploring Easter uh, I'm sorry, uh, Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. And it's what we see in the media today. And it's what we see in film today. I mean, you look at Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ and it's just such a bloody, bloody scene. But with Mark, all you get are those three words there. They crucified him. Mark for, focuses much more on the um, emotional hurt, the abandonment, this, this cup that... Is, was mentioned in the last chapter. It could be the cup of suffering, but it also could be the cup of abandonment. Jesus facing the cross alone, and Mark focuses more on that. And so what I want to ask you to do is, I know for most of us, we've spent time reading like the medical account of the crucifixion, thinking about uh, the pain that Jesus went through on the cross, but have we really explored the emotional trauma of Jesus on the cross or the spiritual trauma of, you know, between him and the father on the cross? Have we really, really explored that? 
And I would invite us to explore that because honestly in Mark, you got more of that than you have pain um, that we tend to explore when we talk about the cross and the crucifixion. So I'll keep reading in verse 24. They divided his garment and cast lots to determine who would take what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written inscription of the charge that against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two thieves alongside of him, one on his right and one on his left. Those passing by blasphemed him, uh, shaking their heads, saying, oh, so you are the one who destroys the temple and rebuilds it in three days. Come down now from the cross and save yourself. Likewise, the chief priest, along with the teachers of religious law, ridiculed him among themselves, saying he saved others, but he is not able to save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we might see and believe. And the ones who were crucified, who were crucified with him, heaped insults on him. And so the focus of Mark on the cross is much more on the emotional abuse and also the abandonment. And you see that here. But the, on, on the cross, what you see of Jesus is, he's not concerned about himself, he's concerned about others. And the cross is the ultimate example in human history of what sacrificial love is all about. Um, I wanna read just a little bit here from uh, the notes of a scholar named Mary Talbert, I think I've mentioned her before in the class, but she's basically, she's going to talk a little bit about what I was just saying about what to focus on when you're reading uh, the Gospel of Mark and the crucifixion. Okay, it's a little long, but bear with me. Our modern tendency to concentrate on physical distress as the epitome of suffering is more the result of later Easter sermons, plays, and movies, and now television dramas which linger on the drops of blood from thorns and whips and sounds of hammering at Golgotha for sensational effect than anything related by the gospels. Many people throughout human history have suffered more terrible tortures and abuse for far longer periods than six hours. Nor does the claim that Jesus was innocent or willingly, or, or willingly die for others make his pain unique. For the innocent are often victims of foul acts and many brave people who die willingly to save family, nations, or comrades. The Greco-Roman world was a cruel and harsh place, beset with illness, famine, military conflict, slavery, and torture. Crucifixion was an onerous way to die, was neither rare nor especially dreaded, although in those cases where it took the crucified person days to die, the cruelty of the method was obvious, but such was not the case with Jesus. Six hours on a cross would certainly not have impressed the authorial audience um, as an unusual degree of physical suffering. And so Dr. Talbert is saying that the way we sometimes read the crucifixion is there's not a worse death that you could possibly die than the crucifixion. Um, it's, it depends on how you read that because people died in worse ways back then and even innocent people died in worse ways back then. That's not the only way to think about the cross. There are other ways to think about it. And then it says his, Jesus' immediately fa immediate family. This is where she focuses more on the abandonment 
idea. His immediately family, his immediate family misunderstood him. His neighbors and kin rejected him outright. Even the 12 whom he appointed to be with him and who had accompanied him through all of his preaching ministry fled when active persecution arose in Jerusalem. Indeed, although such desertion would have been bad enough, Jesus experienced worse. For one disciple actively participated in his arrest by betraying him, and another finally repudiated him with a triple denial. Condemned and disdained by his enemies, rejected by his family and neighbors, betrayed, abandoned, and denied by his disciples, Jesus went to the cross utterly alone, cut off, and isolated from humanity. And that is more the picture that Mark gives us of the cross than the pain and the blood and the guts and the gore, that type of thing. That idea of what Jesus suffered emotionally um, because of abandonment. She goes on and says this, Jesus cries out from the cross to ask God, uh, ask why God has forsaken him. In that moment, he expresses the agony of utter isolation in the cosmos, rejected by humanity and deserted by divinity. The state of such consummate loneliness and alienation is nothing short of hell itself, for it probes the most dreadful fear of all, the fear of the absence of God. And I hope what you'll do is you'll take a little time this week and reread the cross with that frame of mind. Instead of thinking behind the cross and looking at the nails and the beating and the blood, and the torture, think about the abandonment, think about the, the isolation, think about Jesus being disinherited and being alone and focus on that. That is something that we don't think about that much, but we should think about it. And in the midst of all that, what does Jesus do? He bears it. There's a hymn that, that says, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there is a cross for everyone and there is a cross for me. The abandonment that Jesus felt on the cross all of us need to feel that in some way. Um, and we need to show the sacrificial love that Jesus showed while he was on the cross. Okay, number four, let's look at the death of Jesus and then we'll close out there. And I've got a couple of practical points to close with. This is verse 33. When noon arrived, darkness came upon the whole land until three o'clock. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those who were present heard this, they said, look, he calls for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave Jesus a drink saying, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was split in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who had been standing opposite Jesus, saw that he expired, he said, truly this was the son of God. That's important because Paul, I'm sorry, Mark, is probably writing to people in Rome who are undergoing persecution. 
but he shows here a Roman centurion being the person that admits Jesus was the son of God, sees all this and says, truly he was the son of God. And then in verse 40, there were women there who looked on at a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the, the younger and, and, and Joseph and Salome. And Jesus, when Jesus was in Galilee, these women followed him and cared for his needs. Many women came up from, with him to Jerusalem. So Jesus demonstrates sacrificial love on the cross. So much so that the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, as if to say that there is now no separation between God and humanity. And a centurion sees this and makes the confession that this is the son of God. Edwards writes, nevertheless, when Jesus dies, rejected and alone, the most significant event of Mark's gospel transpires. The temple curtain is torn in two and the Gentile centurion confesses Jesus as the son of God. Only at the cross can Jesus be first confessed in faith as the son of God. And this is what the gospel of Mark has been driving to from the very beginning, this statement that Jesus is the son of God. And it happens because Jesus was willing to go to the cross for our sins. Now, next you have the burial of Jesus, but I'll let you read that on your own. Let me just skip to a couple of practical points. We've been talking about sacrificial love, whether it's Jesus not standing up to power with power, but instead looking at power and making power think, or Jesus taking on the jeers and the taunts of the soldiers, or Jesus being willing to go to the cross and face the abandonment that he felt on the cross. Jesus did all of that because of love. And it was a decision that he made, that he was going to, um, he was going to show what sacrificial love is all about. Now, how do we grow in sacrificial love? I have two quick points. Number one, the first way to grow in sacrificial love is to look at Jesus, to learn from him. He is the greatest example in history of sacrificial love. So when we read the gospels and focus on Jesus, we need to ask, what did Jesus do? And how can I imitate Jesus, Jesus here? Um, and so, I know when you look at the cross, it's, it's difficult to think about, at least for me, it's difficult to, for me to think, wow, would I do that? Would I have the strength to do that? I don't think I would. But the thing is, Jesus did that for us so that we could sacrifice ourselves in other ways. Um, there are not many people, I think, granted, there are not many people we would be willing to die for. but are we willing to do little acts of love to help people, to show people our love, not just our love, but to show people the love for Jesus, uh, love of Jesus. So don't just think of the cross, go back to Mark chapter one and read all the gospel of Mark this week. And I encourage you to read it. You know, we've been reading it every week. I encourage you to read it again this week. And this time, just make note of all the ways Jesus demonstrated sacrificial love before the cross. The reason Jesus was willing to, to die the death on the cross is because 
He sacrificed his life all along for people and demonstrated sacrificial love all uh, along the way. He did the little things that demonstrate sacrificial love. When the woman with an issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of his garment, what did he do? He stopped and he had a conversation with her. When the widow put in her two mites in the temple tre treasury, nobody noticed except Jesus. He noticed that sacrificial love. Uh, and he made an example of her to his, to his followers because of that. He noticed her gift. Sacrificial love does that. It notices the gifts of other people. Uh, when the disciples tried to keep the children from approaching Jesus, what did Jesus do? He says, don't hinder them. He, he included them and he gave them a hug. And that's sacrificial love, welcoming children. So, you know, sometimes I think our concept of sacrificial love is only the cross, this big, grandiose um, event, but it's, it's, it's not just that. It's all the little things that we do um, to demonstrate how we love people, whether it's welcoming a child or whether it's stopping to have a conversation with someone who is hurting. These are ways that aren't so grandiose, but they are a big deal. Um, they're, they're, they're little acts of kindness that can open up hearts of people. And we can do these throughout the day and throughout the week. And so I encourage you just to look for little ways to show love and that sacrificial love. Um, and it can be um, just by putting yourself out a little bit for the needs of other people. You know, our son was in town this past week, and um, he, he's been carrying this backpack that's been falling apart, and so the strap's been, been uh, coming off, and at the beginning when he came here, he said, oh man, I need to get a new backpack, backpack. and I said, yeah, I could probably sew that up for you, because actually my dad taught me how to sew. I, I learned how to sew repairing shoes with my dad in a cobbler shop, and so <laughs> I have that skill. Um, and, uh, but he forgot about it and I forgot about it. And then on the, the day that, that he was leaving out that, that night, I just couldn't sleep. And so I got up at four o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. And I got up and I was gonna do some reading and I saw on my chair, the chair where I sit down and read, I saw there was his backpack and there was the sewing kit right beside it. And I, <laughs> and I knew Daniel didn't put it there. I knew Lee put it there, <laughs> but I, this is four o'clock in the morning, you know, and so I'm like, well, you know, I can do this, and so I, I got out, the I used fishing line, I got out the needle, and I used fishing line, because uh, it needed to be strong, and my son is a meticulous kid, I knew I couldn't just do a half-baked job on this, you know, I had to do it right, and so I spent an hour and a half sewing from four o'clock to 5.30 in the morning, sewing on his backpack. And then I set it next to his door. So when he woke up in the morning, there was his backpack with the strap all tight again on it. And I didn't tell him how long it took. I didn't want him to know how long it took. In fact, 
if you don't tell him, he'll never know. <laughs> I told Lee, and now I've told you. And he, boy, you know, so if you don't tell him, he'll never know. I spent an hour and a half on his backpack. But you know what? I would have spent three hours. I would have spent all day because I love my son. And that's a little thing. It's a little thing, but it's a big thing at the same time because that's just what sacrificial love does. And you often do it without thinking um, because it's just, you just love someone. And so I want you to think about that this week. What little things can you do? Um, just little acts of kindness, but also they're not that little in the long run because it gets to people's hearts in the long run. Um, the point I'm making is you don't have to give someone your kidney to show sacrificial love. Now that would certainly show them <laughs> sacrificial love if you gave them a kidney. Um, but you could do little things to demonstrate love for people. And I encourage you to look for that. Um, you know, some people say, don't sweat the small stuff. I get what that means and I get what they're saying. But when it comes to acts of kindness, we should sweat the small stuff because the little things do matter. Okay, that's, that's my first point. My second point about how to grow in sacrificial love is use your gifts that you've been given. You know, I, I talked um, back earlier, uh, did two lessons on using your gifts. Then I preached a sermon on using your gifts. And since that time, how have you done using the gifts that God has given you for the church and for other people and to meet the needs of people? One of the best ways that we can demonstrate sacrificial love is by taking the gifts that God has given us and then encouraging other people by using our gifts. Um, I'll give you an example again from my own life. Uh, this past, last week, again, last week on the same day, I got two questions from different people in, in different parts of the world. Um, and each of them was about a, a page length of an email. And I didn't need, I didn't know either person. I just had never met either person. But because I teach and because, um, you know, I'm a, I, I teach the Bible, people ask me Bible questions. And they'll say, oh, so-and-so told me to ask you this, that kind of thing. And it's been a really busy week. <laughs> Last week, Daniel was in town and we were trying to close on a house and just a lot of stuff going on in life. So much stuff that I was stressed and that's why I got up at four o'clock in the morning. Um, and I read these and neither one, neither of the questions that were being asked, which were page long and length, um, were easy questions to answer. And it was, what I wanted to do with both, I wanted just to say, I am so busy, I can't answer these questions and just type them back. I'm too busy to answer these questions right now. Please ask Douglas Jacoby. <laughs> Please ask Dave Bachman. Um, but I'm just, I just don't have time right now. But you, then I recognized, you know what? This is the gift that God has given me. I, I need to use this gift because God has given me this gift. And so I sat down and I answered both questions and typed out about a page length answer for each of the question. Um, now, let me say this. 
is that the greatest example of sacrificial love in the history of humanity? Of course not. <laughs> That's, that is a little thing, again. Um, it's like sewing a backpack. It's not a huge thing. It's definitely not like Jesus being on the cross, for sure. It's nothing like that. But at the same time, it's, it is kind of a big thing because I didn't know these people at all. Um, and I was just, because I had this gift, I felt like I need to use my gift for God. And I used, need to use my gift to try to encourage these people. So I gave them the best answer that I could give to my ability. Now, what is your gift? And I just encourage you to think about that gift and how are you going to use that gift for God? We all have different gifts. Let's use those gifts. Um, we all ha also have a different circle of influence. I can influence some people because of the gift that I've been given. You influence a whole different sphere of people than I do. But if all of us will use our gifts to influence the people within our sphere of influence, then that demonstrates sacrificial love. And sacrificial love draws people to God because that's what God is all about. And that's who Jesus is. Every time we decide to sacrifice a little bit of ourselves for other people, we have made the decision right now in doing that, I'm going to act a bit more like Jesus by doing this. So I encourage us, let's decide that we are going to sacrifice instead of being selfish and learn to be a blessing to other people. Thanks.